0: In the father, the son and the holy spirit. Amen. So reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is of God. Everyone who loves is begotten by God and knows God. Whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. In this way the love of God is revealed to us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God, yet if we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is brought to perfection in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us, that he has given us the Spirit. Moreover, we have seen and testified that the Father sent his Son as Savior of the world, Whoever acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. We have come to know and to believe in the love God has for us. Heavenly Father, as we begin this sacred time, we ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we might indeed know your love for us. that might draw us in to trust you more, to give of ourselves, recklessly, to waste our lives for you, so that we might learn how to love as well. On this great feast day of Our Lady, who loved you so purely and so perfectly, we ask for her intercession as we pray together. Hail Mary the grace. grace Bless us for our name of Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us, sinners. Now at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. St. John Paul II. I pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so uh, I don't know what you guys, those of you that have been on retreats, I don't know what it's like for you. Uh, I tend to be not not kind of just you know reading from a piece of paper and very theological. I tend to be much more animated and practical. That's kind of my style, take it or leave it. Uh, it's what you get, you paid for this, and this is who I'm here, so we're gonna make the best of it. <clears throat> but um I wanted to start out the the conferences with this idea of being loved. I think so often, you know, like even even when you know when Ryan said to me, he said, We want, you know, become a saint, be more radical, do these things, and like, you know, even the most radical of saints, which I would say, you know, you could pick a few, but one uh, that kind of comes to mind is St. John of the Cross. If any of you guys know anything about St. John of the Cross, like when I first got to St. John of the Cross, I'm like, you know, I was all in. I'm like, oh man, I'm reading The Dark Knight, I'm reading The Ascent of Mount Carmel, and I like open it up, and I'm like, I don't understand anything that this guy is saying. He seems insane. He seems insane. He was like, it was like just this nothing, nothing, nothing. Like, I, you know, God loves me. Well, forget about it. You know, and I was just like, there's something wrong here. And the wrong was not with John of the Cross. It was with me. When I came to understand who John the Cross was, when you think of John of the Cross, again, I don't know how many of you know much about him, but he was an intense lover. If you read his poetry, it, The Living Flame, it is insane the way he writes about love and his love for God. He never could have done what he did without love. None of the saints could do what they do without love. They, if they don't love God, if they don't understand God's love for them, which is much more important than our love for him. That's why I read that scripture passage. If we don't understand his love for us, we become like the two most defended characters, I think, in the New Testament. I became painfully aware of what is the problem with Christians in the modern day and age. When I, these two characters. So the first character is Martha, from the story of Mary and Martha. Huh? By the way, if you guys have any questions at any point, if I reference something you don't know, just raise your hand, I'll try to explain it. And the second one that we always defend is the prodigal son. The older son from the prodigal son. How many of you side with the older, pro, the older son and the prodigal son? Seriously, how many of you side, like, side with him? It's okay, raise your hand. All of your hands should be up right now. Seriously, all of us, we sit back and when you read that story, you have this guy who is an idiot. Like he goes out, he first of all he comes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Then he takes his dad, his dad's like, okay, here's my inheritance. And he goes off and spends it on prostitutes? and partying, and when he comes home, and everybody knows about this, when he comes home, his father goes to be him, first of all, and then kills the fatted calf, which was like meant for the greatest celebration in the world. How many of you wish when you did something terrible like that, your parents responded in that way? <laughs> Dad, I, I just got a DUI. Wow, let's have a party. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, my son is home he's made it, he didn't get into a car accident like, I don't, I don't know and, and the older son, he comes out and he's like, dad what are you doing I love his line too but he's like, he's like, dad I have served you faithfully my entire life and you didn't give me so much as a goat who asked for that a goat? I'm like, dude, you're asking for the wrong stuff, man <laughs> But he's, he's sitting there, he's dutifully following the father. He's living in the father's house, but he has never experienced the father's love. And because of that, everything is exterior to the older son. That's where the father says to him. He says, son, did you not know? Everything I have is yours. It's all yours. You don't know who I am. You don't know my love. But we defend him. Because that's the way a lot of the time we live our spiritual lives. We dutifully do things. I fast. I mean, you think about you think about you know the Pharisee, right? I'm, I'm so glad I'm not like this loser tax collector. I fast three times a week. I pay my tithes. I blah blah blah. I pray my prayers. And Jesus is like, that guy's an idiot. I'm going to paraphrase Jesus a lot on this retreat, by the way. That's not in the true Greek. <laughs> but he, we, we, if we're not in the embrace of the Father. We do not understand our faith. And we will never be saints. We will never be saints. The second character, Martha. Martha, there's something so beautiful about Martha. She's working, working, working. That's what we do, huh? We work. We work more. We get more done. And when we don't get stuff done, you feel like a loser. At least I do. Maybe it's a man thing. I don't know. But Martha's sitting there, and she's working, working, working. And she goes over to Jesus. And she says, Jesus... Tell my sister to get off her lazy butt and get to work. And Jesus looks at her and says, No, Martha. Mary is doing the better thing. You guys, this is, this is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And he is saying that Mary, sitting, listening to him, Is doing more than Martha could ever dream of. It is so backwards for us, you guys. And it's because we have the whole understanding of the spiritual life backwards. Because, and I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that we're Americans. I really do. Because we work, we work very, very hard. And you see it all the time. I mean, like, you just gotta work harder, that's all. You wanna get something done? Just work harder at it. And I think that carries over. It's almost like a disease that carries over into the spiritual life. Like, I can make this stuff happen. I remember in seminary, I had a 12-step program to holiness. Like, I knew exactly how I was going to become holy. I got in, I'm like, oh, this is easy. All I got to do is I pray all, there were only 15 decades of the rosary at that time. I pray all 15 decades of the rosary every day. I did the stations of Cross every day. I prayed all seven hours from the office. I fasted twice a week. I mean, and then I did my holy hour on top of it. And I decided I was going to read the entire Bible during my holy hour. Like I was going to start for Genesis and, and roll through it. And my life was miserable. I was doing, here's one. You know the, the St. Bridget's devotion? The, the year-long devotion? I was 275 days into that. And doing all of this, and my, my spiritual director looked at me. And he's, you know, because he was like, you know, it seems like you're not doing so well. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, what are you doing for prayer? And I labeled everything. And he's like, wow. He's like, that is impressive. I'm like, I know. <laughs> 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 Check it out. <laughs> I mean, this guy's a holy guy. I mean, just because I was doing, doing, doing. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, okay, here's the deal. From here on out, I want you to drop it all. Everything. You can pray one rosary, and you can pray one holy hour. And during that holy hour, you will start with the Gospel of Matthew, and you will take one verse for the whole holy hour. And every holy hour after this, one verse. And, like, you know, I'm like, I'm 275 days in the same You know what kind of promises come with that thing? And you want me just to drop it? And he was like, do you think St. Bridget would want you doing that if you're so damn focused on yourself and you're not focused on God? That's why she gave the devotion. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> and I laughed. And I was pissed. I was mad. And I sat there. I'm like, fine. Grab my Bible. Sit down. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now what? Seriously, I was sitting there, I'm like, like, what am I supposed to do? And that was the thing. You're not supposed to do anything. It's not that we have loved God, it's that God has loved us. I was putting on a show for God. Look at how great I am. And we do this all the time. Instead of sitting back and saying, Father, love me. Get your love into me. And when that happens, then we're free. But the 12-step program to holiness, it just doesn't work. I'll tell you that that right now, uh, so don't try to do it. But I just think that because there's this constant doing and doing and doing, that's why we have no passion. We have no fire. I mean, we get fired up. We come to things like this, we get fired up, but we don't have any lasting, like, gusto because it, the, the love of God is not taking hold inside of us. We want it to be interior, but it gets to be exterior. And that's why a lot of us get caught in perpetual discernment, I like to call it. Why? Because we, we don't know God's love. If we feel called, I t- you know, like, there's an... Only God can tell you these things. I had a, I had a kid sitting one time, because uh, I'm the vocation director, and he's like, he's like, I just wish somebody would tell me to be a priest. And I'm like, be a priest. <laughs> and he's like, well, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, you just asked for somebody to tell you to be a priest. I think you're called to be a priest. Everything you're telling me says be a priest, so be a priest. And he's like, I can't, it's, yeah, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> The reason it doesn't work like that is because you don't have any faith. When I was, in se- when I was getting ready to – because it took this – I'm a hard-headed, arrogant, dumb loser. <laughs> right? I mean, and that's now. You should have seen before. <clears throat> so, but when I was getting ready to go to seminary, I was sitting there and I, was, I went to the, the priest I was working with. And I said to him, I said, Father, I just need another sign. If I could just have one more sign, I think I'd go. And he said, no, what you need is faith to believe the signs that God has given you already. That we know. I, I think deep down, I think if, if I ask most people, like, what are you supposed to do? They might not tell me because they don't want to. But they, they know. But they're too afraid to make that step because they don't believe God is going to be there. And that means they don't understand the love of the Father. And that's why you just sit in perpetual discernment. You just never make a decision. Because to make a decision is reckless. It means you've got to abandon yourself totally to the Father's love. And that's in marriage. That's in priesthood. That's in religious life. That's everything. So St. John says, it is not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us first. Until we're aware of this and believe it, we're not going to have any saints. When you're just passionate, right? When you are passionately in love, no sacrifice is too great. No sacrifice is too great. I was just at a, a wedding and, uh, of a young woman and a young man. And the young woman had a lot of uh, uh, health issues. And during these health issues, it, it became very clear that she had to change her diet. And not only did she have to change her diet, it was very severe, that her husband had to change his too. Because he had to be eating the same thing that she was eating. And her diet, you guys, is pretty intense. But because that man loved her and trusted her and wanted to be with her, that sacrifice was not too great. At the wedding, the priest, I was there. and the, I didn't do it. The priest was there. And he's, he looked at the guy and he's like... I was calling Matt. He's like, Matt, do you realize you are never gonna eat another caramel roll the rest of your life? You will never eat a slice of pizza ever again. But no sacrifice is too great when you're in love. When you're really in love. There's this little so corny saying, I don't even know where I heard it, but it's true. It says, remember we are human beings, not human doings. We are called to be with the Father and the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. He will do. We need to be. And so the most important thing, you guys, and this is where I want to start out, is just is understand, and, and again, I, I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not saying that you, you, you don't pray, that you don't know how to pray, that you've been praying wrong. I just want to give you something. Maybe you've heard this stuff before, but the first talk has to just kind of clearly lay down and understanding, first of all, of what is most important in the spiritual life. And then second, how to remain there. Okay? So the first thing. This is from the Institute for Priestly Formation down in Creighton, uh, Nebraska. I don't know if you know them. But they have a thing. It's called RIM. RIM. Okay? You can never forget it. RIM. Relationship, Identity, Mission. Okay? Relationship, Identity, Mission. Their point is, is that if, so long as you stay in this order... You're going to keep your life ordered. So, the most important thing in the spiritual life is what? Relationship. That's the first thing. And once you're in relationship and receiving and communicating and loving in that relationship, you will get your identity. Okay? So, relationship with the Father, when you're in that relationship, the Father will give you your identity. Beloved son, beloved daughter. And out of that will come your mission. What he wants you to do. But the vast majority of people in the modern world get it backwards. They say, what I do gives me my identity. And my identity, then out of that I try to form relationships. Now what's the problem with that? See, the relationship, the relationship can last forever. The mission, the work, what you're good at. So like I remember in, in high school I was a soccer player. And I was a pretty good soccer player, like just in all humility. I was, a, I was a decent soccer player. And I just remember I was like, soccer was life. It was everything. My whole life revolved around, it was my mission. It gave me my, my identity. My whole mission was soccer, my identity was soccer player. My relationships were all with soccer players and the girls soccer players, right? <laughs> that, that was, it. but the problem is, is when the mission fails, which it always will, it's going to at some point, when the mission's gone, the identity's gone. So my life like fell apart when I couldn't play soccer anymore because I didn't know what I was about. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no focus because the mission had died. And the other thing is too, is certain things like when the mission runs out, I remember in, in, in uh, I was just playing recently with uh, indoor league at University of Maryland. And uh, like, I still thought I had the skill set that I had back in the day, you know? And I'm much more overweight. Uh, I'm much slower. I was on a breakaway. Like, I'm breaking Like, this is great. I'm going to school these kids. And I'm just going. And all of a sudden, I just fell over. (laughs) Like, my calf muscle gave out, and I just collapsed. Fell on the ball, hit my ribs, you know, rolled off of it. And everybody's making fun of me. Why? Because I'm not a soccer player anymore. My heart's there, but my body's gone. Okay. And so we have to do relationship, identity, mission. One of the things you're going to see in that book is the most important thing that John Paul II does his entire life is pray. He prays. You can't imagine how much that man prayed. Sometimes they said like six to eight hours a day. Why? Because he needed to like prove something? No, because he was madly in love. He wanted to be with his lover all the time. And that gave him his identity. John Paul II knew who he was. That's why he had so much power. When he spoke, people listened. When you got into his presence, you started crying. I don't know why. When I got into I met him like three times. Every time I met him, I just broke down. My mom, it was so funny, my mom was like the sweetest woman in the world. She's like, she's like, I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. And we came around the corner, and you could see him, like, wow. And she's like, Aah! you know, like just bawling in her picture, you know, because they take pictures. She's like, kissing the ring, and there's like snot and tears. <laughs> she's like, I look like an idiot. And I'm like, no, mom, that's beautiful. But John Paul II just evoked that out of people because he was so conformed in his relationship to the Father that he just radiated the Father. And that's what gave him power. And it's what gives the saints power. And it's why we don't have power. There's an archbishop, he said, When St. Paul, or when St. Peter preached, 5,000 men converted in one day. When I preach, people drink tea. (laughs) So the point is like, he has no power. Our, uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, he's given a, a, a priest retreat to priests. I don't know if you ever heard this. It's, a, it's so awesome. He's sitting there and he's like, he looks out at them. He's talking about praying the Holy Hour. And he looks out at them and he's like, he's like, none of you have any fire. I have fire. I am a stronger preacher than anyone in this room. And the reason is, is because I pray. You know what? It's just like, I can't believe you just said that. But You have authority. When the spirit lives within you, you have strength, you have power, you you are able to convince people not just from witty argument, but from the gift of the spirit. And so this relationship identity mission, always remember this. Every attack that the devil will give to you is on your identity. Every single attack that the devil is going to administer to you will be on your identity. And the reason I say this is because we see it from the very beginning. What happens in Matthew chapter 4? Right at the beginning. Matthew chapter 4. Okay. What happens in Matthew chapter 3? You just shout it out. You know, it's in Matthew chapter 3, what we got? We got nothing? I did no, I want to thank you for the gas. No. So. <clears throat> but at least at least he said something. <laughs> Matthew chapter, <laughs> <laughs> No, that's true. Matthew chapter three is the baptism of Jesus. OK He comes down, he steps into the water, John baptizes, the sky rips over, and this is my beloved son. What does he receive at that moment? His identity. I am the beloved Son of the Father. Matthew chapter four, what immediately happens after the baptism? Temptation. Good. Bravo. we got to read our Bibles more. Holy crap. Good thing you guys are on retreat. Here we go. Okay? Matthew chapter 4, the temptation in the desert. Everybody thinks that these temptations are about power, pleasure, honor. They're not. They're not. The whole point of the temptation is what the devil says every single time right at the beginning. He says to him, he says, if you are the son of God. Turn these stones into bread. There he says, "Oh, it's all about pleasure because he hasn't eaten in forty years." I love that line. It says Jesus fasted for forty days. At the end of it, he was hungry. <laughs> That's like the greatest understatement in the Bible. He was freaking ravenous, man. <laughs> the, the devil comes up and he ha- does he have the power to turn stones into bread? Yeah, he could, but he doesn't. Instead, he says, "No, no, no." He says, "God will provide for me. I'm His son." Don't question my identity. And then the devil goes on with the next one. And the next one. Each one is, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do that. Because it says God. And then even, the, the thing, I hate the devil. The thing that pisses me off so much about the devil is that he, he tries to tell God that he's not God by using God's word. Because remember he says, throw yourself off the devil. Because it says That he shall not dash his foot against a stone. That's in the Bible. And Jesus is like, shut up. (laughs) You know, he's the audacity of the enemy to come to God and say these things to him. But it's always the identity, you guys. Always the identity. Because if the devil can get Jesus to doubt his identity, what will fail? His mission. I'm the beloved Son. I was sent by the Father. To die for humanity. And I will do it because my father is going to provide for me. This is a promise he made to me, to all humanity. And he will come through. And so I am willing to die. And he goes all the way to the cross. You know, there's this, there's this beautiful point, you know, where Jesus, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says he went back three times to pray. You know, I always wondered why he went back three times. I don't really know. I'm not a scripture scholar, but something came to me in prayer one time. It's because there was no answer. There was no answer. He said, Father, please let this, take this from me. And then it says he came back, found his disciples sleeping, get up. Tells Father, please, I don't want to do this. Take this from me. There's no answer. Because God is saying, you're my son. I told you I was going to do this. I'm going to do it. You just trust me. And from that moment on, Jesus goes directly to the cross. He never looks back. Ever. And so it's all about identity, you guys. We have to get this through our heads. If our identity fails, our mission fails. And so, Deacon James Keating, a good, good friend of mine, he said the real work of the spiritual life is staying in love. It's not, it's, you guys, it's not hard to do acts of love, it's hard to stay in love. It's the same in marriage. What's the hardest part? It's the same in priesthood. What happens? You know, you kind of hit mediocrity. You hit this point where you're like, what else do you want me to do? You know, I'm, I'm just kind of doing my job. I'm living my life. I'm taking care of the kids. I'm in this just plateaued, mediocre state. What's hard about the spiritual life is not only falling in love, but staying there. When Jesus says in John's gospel, remain in my love. To stay in love is to stay in relationship. You know, if you ask a woman, what would she rather have? A man who like just hangs out with her and talks with her and sits with her or a man that buys her whatever she wants. Or a man that like is constantly working and all the stuff around the house and making sure everything's fixed and everything, but never listens to her, never talks to her. If it's that way in human relationships, why isn't it any different in divine relationships? We are meant for communion. We are meant for communion. We are created that way. We're created in the image and likeness of God. God is a communion of persons subsisting in love. We are meant to be in communion, subsisting in love. So why do we run away from it? Why isn't that our greatest desire? Our greatest focus? So discernment, you guys, is all—it's really concerned with noticing what God's doing in my relationship and then staying with Him there. And letting him move. If he wants to move, he'll move. If he wants to stay, he'll stay. I'm surrendered. And you know the greatest, I mean it's so cool that we're starting this on the Feast of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean that, this is what she did. It's all she did. She just surrendered at every moment of her life. And probably the greatest surrender she had to do is when she's standing at the foot of the cross looking up. And the Father is, the Father said to her. He is going to be the son of God. He is going to save the people from their sins. He is going to be called great, the son of the most high. And she looks up and is like, really? But because she was in relationship with the father, because she was in love and trusted the father, she stood there. She stood in the midst of pain, in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering. And she trusted, completely abandoned, completely surrendered. So, <clears throat> relationship identity mission. Never forget it. The other thing, how to pray. I just want to give you guys this again. Maybe, you've, maybe you've had this before. I don't know, but it's called A R R R R. It's like a pirate. You never forget it. Okay, A R R R R. That was too many. A R R R. Okay. The first one, A awareness. This is huge. Awareness of the spiritual life, okay? First movement of prayer is acknowledging that God is with you even if you don't feel him. When you, in your daily life, <clears throat> okay, when you're just going about doing your thing, how often do you think about the spiritual world? How often do you question and say, Lord, what are you doing here? To be aware that you're not thinking about the, ex- the the next life, or to be aware that you are thinking about the next life. A little example from my own life: I was in, uh, I was coming uh, back from. It was Thanksgiving. I fly a lot now. I hate airports. If you want to know what hell is like, go to an airport. If you want to know like the company that the devil invented, talk to Delta. <clears throat> I mean, it is. It's terrible. I hate flying. But I'm just sitting in there, and every time I go to the airport, I'm like, Jesus, whatever you want to do, I'm ready, man. Let's do this. Because the the first is the awareness. I want to go in. I want to experience you today. I want to see you. I think too often we get this. I go to the chapel. There's God. Okay, I'm with God. I'm relating. I'm all, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're praying. Leave the chapel. Okay, let's just get on with the day. No, 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 no. The chapel's the beginning. And then you pull that out, and you live with your head in heaven and your feet on the earth. And you look for him all the time, everywhere. And you guys, the more you do this, the more you will experience him. He is flipping everywhere. He's everywhere. And so anyway, I was on this flight. It's Thanksgiving coming back. I'm like, Jesus. I was just got done with a three-week trip, okay, into which I got the flu, Uh, down in Nashville at the Focus Conference. It was just, it was a nightmare. I mean, whatever. I always tell people, when I suffer, I make everybody else suffer with me, right? So, um, but anyway, so I I was coming back. I had got to Minneapolis. We landed in Minneapolis. It's snowing. I'm like, crap. Snow is never a good thing. And then it starts snowing more and more. We're sitting at the gate, you know, and I'm like, I'm one leg away from home. Like, literally, all I got... Is, it's, a, it's an hour flight, and I'm home. Thanksgiving, turkey, family, sleep, <laughs> in my own bed. You know what? I sat there, and all of a sudden, the guy gets on the thing, and he's like, Folks, I got some really good news for you. We got the plane inbound right now. She's a little bit behind. We're going to get her on the ground, turn her around, and get you home. And everybody's like, Yeah! <laughs> you know, they were just jacked. It was hilarious. You know, People are so fickle. So I'm sitting there. <clears throat> I'm like, Yeah, great. Okay, we're going home. So the plane lands and uh, out comes the pilot with the crew and the people. And I'm like, if this is turning around and just shooting back, like, why is the pilot getting out? That's never a good sign. So he goes up to the guy at the gate agent he's like, and you can just see the gate agent's face just like, because <laughs> you know what he has to say. So he gets on, he's like, um, folks, <laughs> the uh, pilot apparently has logged too many miles and uh, he's unable to fly you to your final destination. We're going to have to cancel this flight. And you... It, I meant if there were rocks on the ground, we would have stoned this man. <laughs> it was so bad. You know, and I'm like sitting there, and I just... This guy standing next to me, he's like, well, apparently Delta doesn't realize they're ruining my Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know? And I like turn over the guy, and I'm like, you know, I, internally... You know those, like, moments in the movies where you're like, ah! you know, <laughs> internally in myself, I just want to be like, really, like, your holiday? Let's be clear, Delta's ruined everybody's holiday. <laughs> my too, you know. But in, I was sitting there, and I'm like, you know what, Lord? I just want where are you at? And so, you know, I'm not telling you this because, like, I'm this holy guy. Every once in a while, I get it right. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Jesus, nothing I can do about this. Just show me where you are in the midst of this. I'm, I want to see you. So, and then I take off running at top speed to try to get to the gate because I have to switch my ticket. So I'm like running past people, pushing old ladies out of the way, <laughs> you know. And I get there, and I, I'm sitting there, and I, and I'm as I'm coming, I'm, I'm on. You know those things I call them walk evaders. you know. I don't know what they're really called, but but they we're that lazy. <laughs> we can't even walk. We have to stand there and let it move us, you know. <laughs> And I swear people can't figure those things out because, you know, it says walk, stand. You know, I remember Brian Regan talks about this. He's a comedian. He's like, it says walk and stand, walk, stand, walk, 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 stand, stand, stand. He's like, there's feet apart and feet together. But people can't. He's like, it's unlearnable. You know, they're in the walk. They're like, fun's it's fun, you know. And you're like trying to get around all these people. Well, I look over and I see this guy and he's in a wheelchair and he's, he's like half fallen out of his chair. And uh, people are just walking around him. And I'm like, that is terrible. Look at all those people walking around him. And I'm still walking. <laughs> that poor guy. Who are these people? Are there any Christians in this airport? So anyway, I, get, I keep going. And then as I go to get off, like, I get off and I just stop. It was like the Lord just stopped me in my tracks. And I just heard this. All I hear was this good Samaritan. And I just stopped for a second. And I was like, wait a second. I was like, in the parable of the good Samaritan, the priest walks around the man lying dead. Or dying. And so I was like, alright, this is stupid. I'm going to go help this guy. I'm a priest, for crying out loud. So I go over, and I come up to this guy. And I'm like, hey, buddy. And he looks up, and he's like, hey. It was like, it was the sweetest, kindest, most gentle man I've ever met in my life. And I was like, you okay? He's like, well, I kind of fell out of my chair. <laughs> I'm like, can I help you? He's like, Dad, would be great. You know, I mean, like, not sad, not just joyful. And like, so I'm like trying to really crank him in this chair because he was, it was, it was like, he had this strap around him. Was, finally, I'm like, you got a strap on. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'm like trying to pull his, he's like, Argh! So, And then eventually, we get him all strapped in, he's set, and I'm like, all right. I'm like, you good? Can I push you to your gate? And he's like, no. He's like, that was so kind to you. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so then he's sitting there, and I like put my hands on his shoulder. And I was like, brother, I was like, have a happy Thanksgiving. And I don't know how this all works in the spiritual life, but he was looking down, and he looked up. And when he looked at me, I was looking at the face of Jesus Christ. And he was just like, you too. And I'm like, yo, man. You know, and I just like turn around. I'm like, I felt like I was floating. And I'm like, damn. And then, you know, I'm such an idiot. You know, (laughs) I'm like, look who the good priest (laughs) is. Doing my good deed for the day. (laughs) You know, but as I'm walking back, all of a sudden I hear over the intercom. It's like uh, Delta Flight 4886, the Bismarck, North Dakota has been reinstated. Please return to the gate. And I'm like. I'm going home. <laughs> so I, like, turn around, just walking, you know. And the mob just comes flying like, <laughs> They come running back. <clears throat> and I get back there, and as I'm, as I'm walking, I look over, and I see this guy over at his gate. And he looks at me, and I look at him, and he winks, and he kind of nods his head. And I'm like, son of a gun. <laughs> it was him. I'm convinced to this day it was him. But it all has to do with Awareness. Will you be aware? Will you look for him? Will you ask him to be in situations? When you go into a meeting, when you go to take a test, Jesus, be with me. Jesus, I want to see you. It's the blind man, right? He says to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man's like, I want to see. That's how we got to be. Jesus, I want to see. I don't care how good it is or how bad it is. Jesus, I want to see. And we got to keep asking and keep asking. I had one where I almost died. I say that a lot. I didn't really almost die, but... I was out hunting, duck hunting. I know nothing about duck hunting. <laughs> I love hunting. I was like, ducks, that's great. Why not hunt those? <clears throat> so, first of all, there's a few things you know. You go duck hunting, you need waders, because you've got to go in the water. And you probably, a dog, because you shoot ducks that are in the water, and then you've got to get them. If you don't have a dog, you can't really get them. So, so I didn't know anything. So, I was out hunting, and, and I... Anyway, I fell in the water a few times. <laughs> like, it was a bad situation, but at the very end, I, I came like, to this crossing, and I would walked all the way around, and I was like, I can just walk straight across this little creek bed. And I was like, great, and I started walking, and I had my boots on, because it was only about this deep. And I was walking, walking, and all of a sudden, I was like, <laughs> like this, into like this muck. I had a better word for it, but I shouldn't use it on retreat, right? And all of a sudden, I was like, well, that's not good. So I stepped again, like oh. And I'm like, wow, now I'm to my knees <laughs> And I got, I got up to like here And all of a sudden I'm like This is like quicksand I mean, it was probably cow manure But it was acting the same way And I was slowly sinking And I'm sitting there and I'm like Really? Is this how it's all going to end? <laughs> like, like Father Waltz is going to sink into cow manure And disappear? And you know, so I took, I had my gun, and I'm like, I'm like, well, I gotta get rid of this, and I threw it, and like, right as I threw it, it was loaded, and I'm like, like, it didn't go off. Then I'm sitting, this is kind of funny, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, my phone! Grab my phone, throw that, and I'm like, well, there's my only means of communication. (laughs) So, I'm sitting, I finally, I was like, look, you just gotta, you know, I, I just remembered, when you're in these things, you gotta get like, get large, so I just, I laid down into this stuff, and then crawled my way out of it. <clears throat> I got onto the shore, you guys, and I sat there and I'm just like, okay, Jesus, <laughs> what do you want to teach me here? And I didn't get anything right away, but about I kept asking and kept asking and kept asking. And he came, the, 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 the truth came to me. It was very clear. He said to me, he said, you're a very, very impulsive man. <laughs> and he said, it's very dangerous not so much in life, but in the spiritual life, and I had to show you through this so you'd get it through your thick skull. He's be more prudent in the spiritual life. <clears throat> so you, but you guys, we got it, when we're in those situations, we've got to ask. We've got to be aware. Awareness is huge, really? Really, really huge. OK? So <clears throat> it doesn't and again, it doesn't matter if you don't feel him. I want to be so clear about that remember one time on a retreat I came in, I was just mad. I was mad about Trump and Hillary. I was mad about ISIS. I was mad about, I don't know, poverty in the world. There's all these problems. I'm like, Jesus, you're not doing anything. Why don't you do something? And by the way, it's okay to talk to the Lord like that. Because you're being honest with him. You're being real with him. And I sat there and all I got back because he's like sitting there and he's like, I got this. (laughs) That's what I got. I got this. I'm like, what? It doesn't look like you got this. (laughs) You know, like the audacity of this idiot. And he, and, he, and then he just said very clearly, he said, "Look at the cross." So I looked up at the cross. I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Did it look like I had it there?" Fair enough. <laughs> you know, when truth speaks, you just shut up. I'm like, fine. Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong again. You know. But that's it. I mean, like, even if we can't see it, even if we can't feel it, he's still there. And to acknowledge that, it's the first movement of prayer, awareness, aware that you are in the spiritual realm, okay? It's like St. Augustine, he says, you were within, but I was without. You screamed, you shouted, you broke through my darkness, my deafness. You know, you breathed on me, and now I long for you. And it was only when Augustine went interior and saw the whole world from a different lens that's spiritual awareness. Okay. Second thing. So that's A R. R is relate. The first one is relate. <clears throat> this is moving from awareness to relating to God. What's going on inside of us? To be honest, we have a seminarian, and he uh, he went on a thirty-day silent retreat, and I said, "What was one of the greatest gifts you got from that silent retreat?" And he said, "He said I had this keen awareness that like if God wasn't God, if Jesus wasn't God, how well would He know me?" You know, we just take that for, you know, right? He's God. He knows everything about me. It's not for him. It's for us. We relate to him. We tell him what's going on inside of us. There's this beautiful line. I don't know where it came from, uh, but I always said, what you don't reveal, Jesus can't heal. What you don't reveal, Jesus can't heal. You've got to bring everything to him. All your pain, all your suffering all your fear, all your weakness. And you guys know these things. And sometimes, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't know the root of what the problem is. You only know like the branch of the plant, right? I always get angry. I lack patience. I'm impure. I lack sobriety. I'm envious. What is the root, Jesus? Today, I was so mad, and I don't know why. I get mad so easily. Where is that from? And then you receive. So relate, the next one is receive. <clears throat> I just want to go back, one, one, thing, one more thing I'm relating. Again, go to, go to the Blessed Virgin Mary. She, she does it perfectly. Angel comes and says, Mary, you're going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. She isn't like, oh, okay, what the heck is that? You know? <laughs> she immediately, something arises and she relates it back. How can, that, how can that be? I've never been with a man. You've got, you got to explain this a little bit more. So she's she's aware, she's relating. Okay, she's relating everything that's going on inside of her. Third is receive. Now receiving takes a little bit longer to uh, explain because there's a lot more to receiving than just saying, "Oh, you know, when God says something, receive it." Okay, says uh, Jean Carbon or sorry Benedict XVI. He says, "Prayer is pure receptivity to God's grace. Prayer is pure receptivity to God's grace." Jean Carbon is a uh, theologian, a liturgist. He wrote the book, The Spirit of Worship. Excellent book. He said the most fruitful human activity is to receive God. But in order to receive, we have to understand a few things. The first thing is this. I talked about a little bit in the homily. Receiving God, this is really important, happens most effectively in your place of poverty. Receiving God happens most effectively in your place of poverty, the place that you would, if you just, if you're like, if that would just go away, I would be a saint. <laughs> that thing, or maybe that many things, <laughs> those places, that place. If Jesus, if you just take it away, I would be holy. The funniest part about this is, is that's where He wants to make you holy, <clears throat> is right there. Why? See, because a part of this is going to be like, oh, people always say that, but why? Why do you think that's the place he wants to make you holy? Where you're weakest, where you're poorest, where the place that you hate, like you run like hell whenever it comes around. It drives you nuts. You bring it to confession all the time. Why does he want to go there? Because it's the place you can't control. You can't control it. And when you can't control something, your only option is to either fake it, like everything's okay, so a lot of people do, or to relate it, and have him come right into that spot. <clears throat> problem is, as I said, most of us spend a lot of our time just running away from it. So on a spiritual level, the richest place in our life <laughs> is where we are the weakest. And this is scriptural, right? St. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And the thing is, too, you guys, in your place of power... So, like, <clears throat> like I love to preach. I love preaching. It's, it's not a place of weakness for me. I love to do it. And so, when I'm preaching, when I get done, it's very easy for me to be like, that was a good homily. <laughs> You know, I'm telling. Listen, I'm gonna be really honest with you guys. You, at the end of this, you're gonna be like, "This is the most arrogant man I've ever met in my life." <clears throat> okay? My my spiritual director told me I had to do this stuff. Um, it's 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 humbling for me, <laughs> but but to be really honest, because I don't think we're honest enough with each other. Like you, you sit back and you're like, "Well, there's the priest. Like, oh, what a great guy. Like, you know, man, if I could just be like him, maybe you're not saying that about me, but you know, other, other priests, you're know, like, I'd just be like him. Everything would be okay. No, we're all screwed up. We're all a mess." Okay, But we pretend all the time that it's not a mess. And this is, I, I was just listening, I don't know if you guys know Father Mike Schmitz from UMD. He was University of Minnesota, Duluth. He was talking about that he gave, <laughs> it was his Christmas holiday, and he was talking about the little drummer boy. Um, <laughs> that parumpa pum pum guy, you know. <clears throat> and he says, you know, he, said, he says the little, little drummer boy comes in. There's this line in the song where it says... Uh, it's the little drummer boy looks at Mary and he's like, should I, shall I play for him, the baby? And it says, Mary nodded. And Father Mike is like, what the little drummer boy missed was Mary frantically saying, no, little drummer boy, the baby's asleep. <laughs> you know, like, But the point is, is, there's a line in there that says, I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. And that's what we always want to do is we want to put forward our best for him. The problem is, you guys, that's great, and you should. But the Christmas story is about the worst. What did Jesus come into? The absolute worst situation you could possibly come into. i didn't think of poor Joseph. You know, Joseph's like, you know, he's God. We're going to Bethlehem. You know, God will provide, like the Ritz-Carlton. You know, and they're not, every door. No, sorry. No, sorry. I'd be like, Mary, can't you do something? <laughs> Supposed to be God, right? (laughs) You know, like it must have been so frustrating. Then they get to a cave, and I just really come on, you know. This is me, not Joseph. But they get there. He's he's born into straw poverty, amidst manure, stench, hay. He's immediately put into a manger, a feeding trough. What is Jesus trying to show us? He wants into the mess. He could have came into something beautiful, but he didn't. He came into the mess because we're all a mess. I'm a mess. You're a mess. You're a mess. You're All of you guys. And that's good news. That's what the good news of Christianity is. You think you're screwed up? You think your family's screwed up? Jesus came from the most nightmare of a family you could imagine. You ever read that genealogy? There's some bad people in there. People that dressed up and like, you know, like a prostitute to have sex with their brother. I I mean, you know, Tamar, she didn't even pretend to be a prostitute. She just was one. That's Jesus' family line. He wants us to say, it's okay to be screwed up. I want in there. I want to help you. I want to heal you. And then I want you to take over the world for me. I want to set you on fire. But we always want to put our best forward. We want to hide from that place of weakness. And so we run away from it. Okay. So that's the first thing. Receiving always happens in this place of poverty. Second, receiving, this is really, really important. Receiving requires a tremendous amount of rejecting. So often we say we just got to receive from God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to receive from God? Because you've got to remember, okay, at the same time God is pouring out his love into this place of, you know, this weakness, this hurt. Who else is pouring something into there? The devil is pouring all types of lies into there. If this is the most grace-filled place for God to work, it is also the most wicked place for the devil to work. And as God is trying to put in all this truth and grace and peace the devil is throwing in lie after lie after lie. Think of, the only thing I can think of, I was trying to come up with an example for this, but think of like the one that kind of pops into my head is like, like a, a woman who's, a, a young lady who's been abused. Okay? She is, cont- so her place of weakness, her place of struggle is that she believes that she's worthless. That's why somebody did this to her. And the whole time God is saying, no. You are mine. And it's all over the scriptures about how God loves us. You're mine. And I can bring greater good out of this than if it never would have happened. But you've got to stick with me. And at the same time he's saying that in that place of poverty, the devil is saying, you're worthless. No one could ever love you. You're pathetic. You think you're lovable? Look what he did to you. And it's just, just pouring out of lies. And so what we need to do is in the midst of this receiving part of prayer is we need to reject the lies and receive the truth. Where are you in in, in the place of poverty? It's so hard sometimes to differentiate. And this is where it takes huge acts of faith. You know, maybe it's impurity. I struggle with impurity. Right. I'm not saying I do. I just, I'm putting that out there. So <clears throat> there's a struggle with impurity. Right? The devil is always called the great accuser. And as you struggle with it, there's this constant saying, You're never going to change. Look at you, you fell again. And the other thing I hate about that son of a gun is he always is like, You got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. And as soon as you do it, he's like, You suck. And he just starts accusing and accusing. So first it's like the tempter, right? Do it, do it, do it. Once you do it, it's the accuser. And it's always important to remember that whenever you are feeling accused, whenever something is going on inside of you and you're feeling accused, that is the enemy. Reject that with all of your might. Whenever there's an accusation, you say, I am not believing that. I am not worthless. I am God's son. He died for me, so go to hell. I give you permission to tell the devil, go to hell whenever you want. But it's it's acts of faith, you guys, over and over in this place of poverty and rejecting the lies and receiving the truth. Okay, and again, if you look, you know, there's this thing like if you're so terrible that God could never love you, really? Have you read the story of the prodigal son? That dude was a bad man. And yet, he says, when you return to him, he doesn't sit there and say, you come on your knees and you better beg for forgiveness. No, he runs out to him, covers him, receives him. That's how God loves. That's why Jesus came to teach us these truths. So we we would know what the truth is and to receive that and where the lie is and to reject that. But it takes a lot of work. This is not for wimps, you guys. Okay? And again, remember, in the midst of prayer, this is so important. We do not try to figure out a what. Right? What do I have to do? It's a who. Who is speaking to me? Because at every moment, through your thoughts, feelings, and desires, the the angelic and the demonic are communicating to you. And this is why relationship with the Father is so important through prayer. Because we need to receive directly from Him. And when you receive from Him... You begin to live the life of faith, you begin to live the the life of love, and you begin to live the life of freedom. And it's a beautiful life, okay? Uh, Two more. Receptivity means coming to our ever-present need for God. So in the midst of receiving, you have to come to this understanding, I need God more than anything in the world. He is the most important thing. Without Him, I am absolutely nothing. Okay? Okay? Uh, Father Scott Trainer has this beautiful little analogy. He says, from motorboats to sailboats. And what he means by that is most of us, right, we go to the chapel. It's like we fill up our little gas tank on our motorboat. And then we're like, okay, out of the chapel. And, you know, like we're driving around. We've got to save souls. Oh, evangelize. And all of a sudden you're like... And I'm like, ah, back to the chapel. You know, like. <laughs> you get back into the chapel, and you're like, fill it up. we like, go, all right, all right. All right, back out. You know. <clears throat> and what he says, he says we need to move from that understanding of the spiritual life from motorboats to sailboats. So sailboats are when the wind's blowing, the wind of the spirit, I'm moving. When the wind ain't blowing, I'm just sitting with it. Because otherwise, it's all about us. We're making things happen. Whereas in other places, it's about God making things happen. <clears throat> Motorboats to sailboats, okay? You remember that? You guys ever read the Voyage of the Don Shredder? Yeah. The Chronicles of Narnia? There's that point, right, when they get past all the crap that they get into that current. And the boat's just going. <laughs> and they're just everything's, everything's getting brighter and their eyes are getting bigger and the water's getting clearer and everything's more amazing. And the sun's getting bigger. And it's because that's the life of prayer. They're no longer a motorboat. They're just cruising in the current of grace, but again, that takes a lot of re- receiving and rejecting. It's it's hard work, you guys, but it's worth it. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. You begin to pick up so quickly on the devil. You'll be going and you'll be driving, and all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, something will pop into your head, and you're like, "Shut up!" Seriously, he, he he, because he becomes so blatantly obvious now. He's still very clever, and he finds ways, and man, that's why you need to pray, and that's why you need spiritual direction if you're serious about the life of grace, serious about the life of discernment, okay? So, I just want to tell you one quick story. We're almost done, promise. Um, This is an example from my own life. Again, like I said, this is humbling. Again, I know I'm an arrogant man, okay? You don't have to tell me that. You can affirm me in it, or I mean not affirm me in it. But, you know, you know, keep pushing for humility and pray for humility for me. Uh, but I've come a long ways. But anyway, about two years ago, I had what I called the year of trophies. Okay? Uh, I got a trophy buck. I shot a trophy buck. <clears throat> Eight by nine, muley buck. He had about, It looked like the Empire State Building. <clears throat> it was huge. 28 inches wide. Just a monster. Okay? Then I caught a trophy smallmouth bass just because I'm a great fisherman, I guess. I also published a nationally renowned Lighthouse CD <laughs> that same year. And for any of you, I don't know how many of you play p Ah, <clears throat> oh, shoot, you guys, I got a double rope, which is like the hardest thing to get in the game of p My dad's been playing it for 50 years, he's never got one. <clears throat> so this was all in one year. Now these are stupid things, okay, they're stupid things. But it was like the year of trophies. I'm like, this is a good year. You know. So I, went, I was going on retreat and I came in. I'm like, man, I'm doing it. Oh, and on top of that, <laughs> in one year, in one year, 14 guys entered seminary for the Diocese of Bismarck. I think the biggest class we had ever had prior to that was six in the history of the diocese. Fourteen. Sit back and you guess who's responsible for all these wonderful trophies? This guy. (laughs) No, I'm serious. This is how we get off track. Maybe you're (laughs) you're catching where my place of poverty is, right? (laughs) So I'm sitting there, and this is where the Lord goes all the time. Because the devil attacks my identity in my arrogance. Because if he can get me to be self-reliant, he can get me off of Christ and onto myself. Which leads other people away from Jesus. That's why my retreats, this is why I pray. I knew, you guys, if I stopped praying, I would stop being a priest. Maybe six months. But I pray every single day for one hour, sometimes more if I can. And that's what keeps me grounded, and it's what gives the Lord permission to keep working on me. These things, they don't happen overnight, okay? So anyway, I'm sitting there, and my, my spiritual director at the time, she's like, you need to go and pray over how you see yourself and how God sees you. And I'm like, great, no problem, It's going to be great. <laughs> going first holy hour is all about how I view myself. I'm like, oh, <laughs> It's just a great, this is a very fruitful holy hour. You know, like, I was receiving, right? And what I was receiving was sheer lies. Okay? And this is, have you guys ever noticed this, like, the way that the spiritual life works is it's very slow. And then you just, and all of a sudden you're like, how did I get this far away? And then, boom, he brings you back. Okay? And it's because he, he, and he allows this to happen. Why? To get rid of self-reliance. We've got to be about him, our ever-present need for him. So I'm sitting there. Pray, and then I go into the second holy hour. I'm like, all right, Lord, how do you see me? <laughs> Bring it on. And it was, it was just darkness. I didn't see anything. And, you know, that's very unsettling when you say, Jesus, how do you see me? And it's pitch black. <laughs> and I was like, you know, when the holy hour was over. I'm like, thank God, that's over. And I went and I sat in my room. <clears throat> and I sat down and I was reading a book. And all of a sudden I heard this, go because the place we were at, they had a, a basketball court. It's like, go shoot hoops. And I'm like, what the? I don't want to shoot hoops. I'm like I'm reading because whenever God begins to speak, we try to distract ourselves. <laughs> I need a book. Give me a book. <laughs> I'm Like <"F- laughs> right, and I'm sitting there reading. All says, "Go shoot hoops." I'm like, I don't. Why would I want to go shoot hoops? It's nine o'clock at night. It's probably closed. Finally, it's like, "Go shoot hoops now." And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Put the book down. <clears throat> go over. I realize I don't have any of my clothes. I got shorts. I got my nasty white t-shirt that I wear underneath these clerics that nobody ever gets to see. <laughs> and then I had my black echoes and black socks. So that's what I went to the gym in. <clears throat> a nasty white dirty t-shirt, black gym shorts, and my dress shoes and black socks. <laughs> and mad. Mad. I was going over there. With basketball. So I get in there. I'm like, just. I hope I open up the door and there's like a game going on. Open it up. There's one other guy in there. Now this guy, now like, I, I thought I looked ridiculous. <laughs> this guy was in dress pants, dress shoes, a bow tie, glasses, dress shirt, okay? And like perfectly combed hair. And, he's, and he was the worst basketball player I've ever met in my life. I think he comes at 9 o'clock at night because nobody else is there. And when he saw me, he's like, "Oh crap!" You know, and they looked at me, and he's like, "Well, this guy obviously sucks too." <laughs> so I go over, you know, and I'm am a decent ball player. I'm not, I, you know, every once in a while I hit a few shots, whatever. But I, you know, I'm like shooting three, shooting, and I was just watching him out of the corner of my eye. In thirty minutes, this man never made a shot, not one. And I mean layups, like he's coming in. And it was just, like, he was literally, like, BAM! And he would just, like, shoot off the back. I'm Like, dude, finesse! You know what I'm saying? Like? You know what I'm saying? And at one, he was dribbling, and he was, like, training so hard. Like, he wanted to play basketball. And he's running he's running laps, and, you know, he's dribbling, and all of a sudden, the ball would go flying. <laughs> one time, he tripped over himself. And, like, so I'm sitting there, and I'm just, I'm just like... I'm like, Lord, I don't know why you brought me here, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) This is amazing. And no, but I'm like, I wasn't making fun of this guy. like, there was a certain joy inside. He was bringing joy to me because he was trying so hard, but he was so terrible and so inept and so incapable of the game of basketball, but he wanted it so bad. And I was like, you know, I said, I was like, Lord, I don't know why you brought me here. And immediately... This overwhelming sense of the Father. He said, because that's you. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I don't know if you know me. <laughs> I, just time out here. But he's like, no, seriously. That's you in the priesthood. You are totally inept. <laughs> You're totally incapable of doing what I'm asking you to do. But you try really hard. And I love that in you. And I'm telling you guys, I like broke down. <clears throat> when God the Father speaks, and this wasn't audible, it's not this booming. It was just this, it's, I don't know how to explain it. If you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. There was just this overwhelming sense of peace. And then I started laughing because you see how stupid you are. I'm like, I am really an idiot. And he's like, I know. <laughs> I'm like, this is great. <laughs> I'm, st- you know, like, th- I can't believe I was that dumb. And, and then, like, and once that happens, is, a lot of times it just happens to me on retreat. And then I'm, like, online. And I'm in this conversation with the Lord. And so I, like, walked outside. And I'm just laughing. He's like, he's like, hey, by the way. This is kind of just going on, this, this conversation. By the way, he's like, he's like um, you know that, that trophy buck you shot? He's like, uh, how could he you at deer hunt? I'm like, I suck. I was like, I'm like one of the worst deer hunters in the world. He's like, totally luck, right? I'm like, yeah. I bet you put the buck there. He's like, I did. You know? Like, and like, we're, you know, and he's like, and the fish. I'm like, yeah. I was like, I was using a walleye rig and I caught a bass. <laughs> you know? And it was just like thing after thing. And he's like, Four, he's like 14 seminarians. I'm like, yeah, they just called. <laughs> I was like, I really did enough this year. But, he, but, the, but the beauty of this whole thing was, is he was just showing me like, when I get so dependent on myself, that's when the devil really gets into me. And I become ineffective. <clears throat> but when I'm with him, and I am constantly realizing and aware of my ever-present need for him at all times, at everything, not just the good, but the bad, at all times, That's when life is beautiful, because he's in charge. But as I said, it takes an awful lot of rejecting in order to receive properly. And if you have a really wounded place, a place that you've been hurt very badly, you need to just read the scriptures on God's love. And you just have to make acts of faith, Jesus, I believe this. And every time the accuser says, you're worthless, you say, no, it's right here. He said it. He loves me. And you have to do that over and over and over again. It's all about choice, you guys. It's the thing that makes us different from every other animal. We can choose. And so, to receive, you gotta have total dependence upon God. And then finally, uh, respond. This one's very quick. That is just after you've received what God wants to tell you. It's just in diet, You're just in dialogue. And you don't have to. You don't have to hear him. You can just talk to him. Maybe your response is just sitting. My buddy, Doug, <clears throat> he has a high school education, but he's like a major theologian. He always said, <clears throat> he said with his daughter, I remember I go over and she's just a baby and he's holding her and she's sleeping and we're talking. And I'm like, man, that's beautiful. He's like, father, you have no idea. He said, like, this is my absolute favorite time to be with my daughter. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because I just get to hold her. Usually she's running around saying, Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look at me. And like, isn't that us? Why don't we just let God hold us? That that intimacy is real. That he wants to meet you there. He wants to provide for you. And our response is just simply saying, Jesus, I give you permission. You can do whatever you need to do. <laughs> all about relationship. It's all about prayer. That should be the primary focus of your day. The primary focus. So how do you want to live? In the lies or in the truth? So I want you to go practice this for some hours. i want to give you just a few scripture passages. You can pray through these if you want. Um, If you don't want that's fine. I want you to move where God wants you to move. Okay? That's the beauty of the spiritual life. First one is 1 John, first letter of John, chapter 4, 7 through 12. Second one, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Third one, Matthew 4, the temptations. <coughs> And the last one, Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Again, coming in, you're immediately being aware of Jesus. You're saying, Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I love you, I adore you. I want to be with you for this hour. And you you relate everything that's going on. Maybe things that came up in this talk, maybe you wrote them down. Jesus, what is this? Show this to me. Then you wait, you be. And receive what comes. And if nothing comes, that's fine. And if something comes that you don't understand, Jesus, I don't understand this. And your response, Jesus, I want to live here. Keep me here. I give you permission. It's a beautiful life, you guys. It takes a lot of work. But uh, nobody stumbles into greatness, huh? If you want to be great at something, you've got to work hard at it. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of your only begotten Son. We thank you for the love with which He has loved us, teaching us that the greatest thing in this world is to be in relationship with you, Father. We ask you to heal any wounds that these young people bring. We ask you to give them the graces they need to be the saints you have created them to be. We ask you especially, Father. That you may help them to understand your love for them. That they don't have to do anything to receive it. To earn it. It is freely given. And may Almighty God bless you, Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs>